Hello, everyone, and welcome in to a fantastic midweek edition of Down the Field, the official DTF, DTF podcast. Excuse me. I am Andrew Robinson, your host, and coming to you as I do always from Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, very happy to come to you midweek because we are going to be having a special Super Bowl preview episode, which will air on Saturday morning. Um, so if you got some free time this weekend, want to. Uh, hear a little a little conversation about this year's 53rd annual Super Bowl here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, be sure to listen in to the DTF, which will drop on either. It'll no, it'll come out Saturday morning. So very excited about that. But uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, I just got back literally like 20 minutes ago from the fan experience downtown uh, in the World Georgia Congress Center, and. I got to be honest, it was one of the cooler things I've ever been a part of. Um, from all the activities you can do, you can kick field goals, throw passes, do a three-cone drill, um, do a, uh, what else, there was a, a broad jump, You can there was a human claw machine, you can get autographs and pictures, do all types of stuff, as well as, you know, a, a fantastic gift shop where I probably spent a little bit too much money for the uh, for the amount that I currently have in my bank account, but we won't talk about that right now. Um, no, it was just fantastic. Um, and sponsored by Bud Light, which of course I have right beside me as I always do, uh, Bud Light, um, for the many, not the few. And they were everywhere. Um, they had ads, they were, uh, very much involved in, you could take pictures with the Lombardi trophy, with the Super Bowl ring. It was just really cool to be a part of. And for 20 bucks, I felt like to be in Atlanta and not go, would have been a travesty, and uh, very glad I went. Uh, ended up buying a really nice hat, um, so we will stick with that. Although the one attraction that I wish that they had, and um, I discussed it with the people I went with tonight, wouldn't it be awesome? Okay, now you got you got to follow me here. A lot, of, a lot of people are gonna be like, "No, I I would never do that." But at the same time, I've heard a lot of people discuss, you know, what it would feel like to be hit by an NFL player. So what if you got in pads and you fell back on like a, on a foam mattress um, or, or the padding that they have there, but you're in full pads and a helmet and one of those machines is like weighted with sandbags or whatever it is and it hits you with the force of being hit by the average linebacker in the NFL. I know a lot of people are like, Andrew, your five nine ass would get crushed by that thing, and I know I would, I would, but I promise I'd do it. I think that that would be awesome, just to stand there and actually that way you'd be like, wow, that's what it feels like on a day to, on a on a hit by hit basis to get popped over the middle. So I think I think you'd have a lot more respect. You know, I mean, you try and make a forty yard throw into this little basket that they have there, and no one can do it in a line of like two hundred people. All of a sudden, you get more respect for the uh, for the quarterbacks in this league if you didn't have it already. And the kickers, you know, you can kick a 40-yard field goal. With those NFL uprights, it's a little bit more narrow than in high school or college. And uh, you get a lot more respect. I think that is the one thing that I would petition the NFL to do for their fan experience. The brave souls that will sign the waiver and stand there and just get crushed. Uh, would be awesome to me. Now, everyone I was with was like, you're an idiot, no way. But you know what? I uh, I stand by that opinion. Um, <laughs> and I think that it would be really cool to see. Um, so anyway, we'll move on and let's discuss the um, 
the University of Tennessee basketball team because that's where we need to start, right? It just is where we need to start because they're the number one team in the country. Um, I saw an awesome tweet the other day. It's, <laughs> it had every single state listed. It said if you live in, you know, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, uh, you know, Delaware, all all the states. You get my point. All fifty states were listed, and then it had like it said if you live in dot 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 all fifty states dot dot dot. Tennessee is the number one team in your state. And it just like, I don't know. It, it just, I don't, it was awesome. I'm so happy for this group of guys. And, you know, there's another thing that, that, that needs to be said about this group. We've talked about it a few times on this podcast, but the more that you, you know, see how they interact with each other and their ability to come back and fight back in games and their ability to scratch and claw. I mean, since our last podcast, Tennessee has played West Virginia. South Carolina and uh, Vandy and Alabama won all four games. That Vanderbilt game last Tuesday night, about 12 days ago, was one of the better wins I think this team has had. Um, you're down six with a minute left on the road, and you can say what you want. I know there were there were probably more Tennessee fans there than uh, Vandy fans, but still – to be on the road in a weird arena and to come back and fight and claw and win tells you all you need to know about this group. If you had any doubts, you shouldn't anymore because they should be answered. It's just really exciting to see. And the way that they are there for each other and they'll fight and they'll scratch and claw and they're never out of a game. It's just, it's just awesome. It's just awesome to see. And, you know, there, Rick Barnes is there to – keep this team poised. He's been there before. He knows what it's like. And, and, and it's, it's evident. This is what happens when you have a senior laden team that is ready and willing to do anything they can to win a, uh, a basketball game. And I think that we are seeing that game by game. I mean, how many times have we started out slow West Virginia, uh, you know, um, geez, uh, sorry, West Virginia and uh, South Carolina, our last two games started out really, really slow. And here they are, about, you know, under 16 media timeout in the second half. Next thing you know, it's under 8 media timeout, and we're up by 15. And it's like, where and why? And usually it's because you have either Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, or uh, Bone, Jordan Bone, stepping up and making plays. And saying that we're going to take this game over. There's There's so many guys that can get it done for this Tennessee team, that it's almost impossible to count them out of any game ever. I mean, really. Uh, Bones off, that's okay. Admiral Grant and Bowden could be on. Bowden's off. Grant Williams is off. That's fine. What if Kyle Alexander's on? Uh, Bone is on and Admiral's on. I mean, there's just, they're so deep and they're so poised and 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 and, and veteran-led that you're, you never get worried. You never get worried with this group. And they're going to have tough games. Playing at Kentucky is going to be brutally hard. Kentucky's really got it going on right now. Playing at LSU is going to be really hard. Playing Mississippi State, playing at Auburn, like our, the back half of our schedule is really, really tough. But if anything from this group, and they'll probably lose a game or two in there, and that's okay. But if this group has showed you anything, it's that they're, you know, they're never going to get blown out, and they're they're never going to quit. They could have quit in that Vandy game, and they just refused. They could have, you know, folded in that Alabama game, and they refused. And that has to do with your depth, that has to do with your health, 
And that has to do with the fact that we have seniors and a guy named Rick Barnes on our sideline. So we'll leave the Vols talk there, move on in college basketball, because quite frankly, there's been a lot of stuff that's been going on in college basketball that I think is worthy of talking about, uh, starting with the Kentucky Wildcats and their you know explosion onto the scene. And uh, I got to say, this is one of these are always the Kentucky teams you have to worry about. The ones that don't have all the fancy, flashy five stars, and but they've still got tons of talent. And with John Calipari on the sideline, as much as I can't stand him or Kentucky basketball, you, you always have to be worried. And they're starting to get rolling. They're rolling at the right time. Um, they pretty much made Kansas quit. They had bullied them so bad, even though the game was close. Excuse me, even though the game was close. Kansas just got bullied by Kentucky, and they pretty much made them quit. Uh, they really have handled teams like Mississippi State well. They've handled um, – they just took it to Vandy. I mean, K- Kentucky is really starting to get going, and I think they're the, the the threat to Tennessee. I thought it was Auburn at the beginning of the year, and Auburn is still a good team, and they're probably going to make some noise in the conference. But this Kentucky team is for real. Tennessee and Kentucky have really you know stood – apart for the rest of the league so far we're about halfway through um yeah yeah we're in february wow i can't believe we're already in february it's crazy uh one more month and we will be in march and it will be madness and the tennessee basketball volunteers will be playing um hopefully as a one seed or a two or whatever they're going to be they're going to be ready to go. Anyway, Kentucky's rolling. Duke is rolling. North Carolina is rolling. Villanova, who everybody didn't want to talk about at the beginning of the season, is all of a sudden ranked 16. This is what really good teams do um, with good coaches and good players, and that's what all these teams have. Now, what's going on uh, at Duke is really quite incredible. You know, Zion Williamson is awesome. R.J. Barrett is awesome. They are really good, don't get me wrong. But there's just something about this Duke team, and I'm telling you, I could be eating crow if they are lifting the national championship trophy and cutting down the nets at the end of the season. I I said it before on this podcast. I will say it again. I think Duke has somewhat of an early exit, maybe a sweet 16 uh, exit. I think they can get through the first weekend. But if this team... I mean, what the, what they're doing to their schedule right now, what they're doing to conference opponents is really, really incredible. But when they lost to Syracuse a couple weeks ago and gave Tennessee the number one spot, they kind of got exposed a little bit. If they can't they, – because they couldn't shoot it all that night. They couldn't shoot a lick. What they did when they played Notre Dame on Tuesday night or Monday night this past Monday, they were shooting the the lights off the, or the, the nets off the rims, right? I mean, they were just shooting incredibly. But against Syracuse, if they're not hitting outside shots, you can just pack it in and let and force you know them to keep shooting outside. And they're not a great outside shooting team. They've had good games, but throughout the season, their percentage is pretty low compared to college basketball. So if you catch them on an off shooting night, they're beatable. Because you can just pack it in, especially if you're a team like Syracuse and just is known for your defensive play. Now, granted, Syracuse runs a zone, and not many other teams are going to run a zone that Duke plays all season. But still, the formula's out there. Make them miss shots. 
hope that they have an off-night shooting, play tough defense inside, don't foul, and you can beat Duke. And that's what Syracuse did on the road to Duke. And that's why the Vols are number one and the Blue Devils are number two. One other team I think is worth keeping an eye on. And um, obviously they can't do anything this year. But what Chris Mack is doing at Louisville is uh, is pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive. He's got this group to buy in. I'll tell you what, and and it was made in a point in the group text and Davis Tapani at the nail on the head here. He was the one that said it. I wouldn't want to play Louisville right now. Who would? They're rolling. They took it to Wake Forest tonight. I don't even know what the final score was. I think they won by like 20 or 25 points. Just incredible. Incredible stuff. Um, by Chris Mack, and he's going to have Louisville back. I mean, what a home run hire for Louisville to get a guy familiar with the area, coached at Xavier, and get him to come coach for you. Yeah, he'll have Louisville there. Thank goodness Tennessee beat him. That's going to be actually a really good resume win. That could be a Tier 1 win. You know how they do that now in college basketball. Um, I'm doing a new segment tonight. We'll get to it later, but this one will be a part of that segment later, and it's the rules of the tier one, tier two, and tier three, and like tier four wins. That's how they do it now. Instead of like the strength of schedule like they used to for the tournament qualifier, they do it by how many wins you have in a particular tier. And that's based off of a whole other formula, which we'll get into in another episode. But what I want to do now is I want to get into the mailbag. And another great week with the mailbag, five more emails in the mailbag. Um, and I just continue to thank everybody um, that, put this here. Uh, we're going to go to Grant. Um, and Grant, always uh, a pleasure. Um, his college basketball question is, Tennessee's been very healthy in basketball, except for Monte Turner. Um, if you lose one starter, excluding Ponds, who for Tennessee, who could Tennessee do without? Interesting. He says, I think Bone or Alexander, though not the best players in the in that starting rotation, are more crucial to our success than Big Two and Williams and Schofield. You know, Grant, I tend to agree with you here. Um, obviously, you know, I think that the first answer would probably be Pons. But I think losing anyone, anyone on this roster, going eight men deep, um, from Bowden to Turner, um, okay, we'll stop at seven. You lose any one of those seven, you are getting dicey it's dicey because they feed so well off each other and you you have so many different rotations that you can run it would it would put the whole thing out of sync um i'm gonna say jordan bone and i know that that sounds crazy but we saw what happened when you lose kyle alexander last year tennessee got beat by a loyal chicago team that if kyle alexander plays they win the game um i don't think you could lose grant or admiral so I guess it kind of defaults to bone, but like I say, there's there's no good answer there. What a tough question. Interesting. Uh yeah, gotta love this. A gambling question. And and write in, uh right into the to the mailbag, which again, um I will post uh on the DTF Twitter account, but write in your answer. Who do you think Tennessee could in their starting five could afford to or not afford to, but who would be the person that if lost, wouldn't mean as much as the others. And I, I'm telling you, there's not a good answer there. I'm just curious to hear 
uh, people's answers. I think that I, I hope and pray that they stay as healthy as possible, and we don't have to answer that question. Here's an interesting question, though. Uh, it's a gambling question. Said so if you had to put money on it right now for next year in every major sport, who would you put money on to win the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series, the NCAA basketball tournament, Stanley Cup, Premier League, etc. Um, not a not a soccer guy at all. The only reason I like soccer is because Atlanta United games are really fun. and uh, But besides that, I don't really care for soccer. I don't watch European soccer. So Premier League, I have no idea. Um, who is the team that won? They were like the worst team. Was it Liverpool? No, I feel like they're more of a famous team. Who was the team? I can't remember the team that won that was like 1,000 to 1 odds. Um, I know it's not either the Manchester's. Oh gosh, I could easily look it up, but I'm not going to. Um, so I guess for the NBA Finals, it, unless the Warriors break up, I'm going to take Golden State for the Super Bowl. Unless Tom Brady just falls off the face of the earth, I'm going to take the Patriots. If he does, I'm going to take the Chiefs. Uh, for the World Series, great question. I really have no idea. Uh, but it just gets back to pitching rotation. I think that the Boston Red Sox still have that, so I'll take the Red Sox. Um, and in the Stanley Cup, oh gosh, this year I really have no idea. It's going to be such a good fight to the end in the Stanley Cup finals race. I mean, you have so many good teams that are playing uh, you know, sporadically throughout the year that I can't say that there's one heavy favorite. Uh, if I will say this year, I'm going to go out on a I guess it's not really going out on a limb. Um, I, a part of me really likes the Bruins this year, and I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to say the Bruins. So we'll go Boston Bruins. Um, they've been a fun team all year. In fact, I've actually had got to watch them a few times on NBCSN, um, although it's hard to pick against the Lightning also. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, great question, uh, Grant. I, I actually really like that. Um, and I know my answers are pretty lame considering that the, the Warriors have won it pretty much every year. The Red Sox won it last year and the Patriots are always in it, but you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, pick against that. Um, and then college football, here's an interesting question. Uh, I see in here all the hype around the Vols football team. I feel as though I have lower expectations than most. I think six wins is a realistic goal for the Vols in 2019. I love the energy and excitement, but I think seven wins is a stretch. I hope I am wrong, but looking at the guys we have in the trenches, it's worrisome. We should get Darnell right, fingers crossed. That would be potentially having us uh, starting true freshmen at left tackle and right tackle, along with losing Shy Tuttle and Alexis Johnson, in my opinion, the best players last season in Tennessee. Not a bad take, Grant. Would you be happy with a six win and a bowl trip, regardless of the prestige of the bowl game? This is an interesting question. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to talk about Tennessee football today, but we're going to because I like this question. And I look at the roster and you're right. It's depleted. It's still depleted. It's going to get better. Right, This recruiting class that Pruitt's bringing in, along with the one that he's been working on next year and the year after, the, you know, the horses will eventually come into the stable, but right now they're just not there. 
There's three things that you have to have in the SEC to be able to win. You have to have smart linebackers that can control the defense. Which, do we really have that? I don't think so. We're going to have a lot of young players playing at those positions. And eventually they will be there, but they're not there now. You have to be able to win up front on both sides of the ball. And we're going to get beat every single game up front on both sides of the ball. And that's just, that's not saying, you know, our guys just aren't there yet. And you have to have elite quarterback play. And we don't have that. We, I think we have the worst starting quarterback in the SEC. Um, I don't know if there's one worse. Um, granted, it's a great quarterback league, but Garantano is 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 not um, not our guy for the future by any means. Um, I think Harrison Bailey is going to start as a true freshman when he gets here uh, next year. Uh, but it's an interesting question, and when I look at the schedule, Grant. I think six wins would be such a mediocre year. And the reason I say that is because last year, if you substitute West Virginia for BYU, I think you do get the six wins. Regardless of that, though, what's interesting is I think that there's going to be a couple games that are going to flip. Like, I, I really do think that the days of losing to Vanderbilt are over. Um, I think this was the last year of it. And you're going to see a totally different side of Tennessee football um, next year in terms of toughness and, you know, uh, athleticism and all this stuff. I think it's going to be totally different. And you get Jim Chaney back. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that just seem like they're going in the right direction. I think seven to eight wins is where I'll be happy with six. I'll be mediocre. Five. I'll be disappointed. Um, I think that two games are going to flip. In particular, I think that uh, Kentucky or not Kentucky. I'm sorry, Vanderbilt and South Carolina will both flip our way. They're both going to be home games. Um, I think we'll continue to win against Kentucky because we wear orange and they wear blue. The interesting game is going to come down to Mississippi State. I mean, if you can beat Mississippi State by my math, that's eight wins. Eight wins next year will be a great season and a great building block. You lose Mississippi State, you can get seven by my math, which it would be okay, but still a little bit disappointing. Um, but no, I think you saw enough signs last year to believe that there's going to be steps forward, right? I mean, I think you saw enough from that group to believe that they can do at least something. They beat in a, a pretty good Auburn team, you know, an Auburn team that went out and absolutely dis mantled oh, who they played in the bowl game. God, I can't remember. But, I mean, granted, that was not the Auburn team that Tennessee played. The Auburn team that Tennessee played, that that team would have beat Tennessee by a lot. My point here is you saw enough from Jeremy Pruitt's squad last year to believe that things are going to get better and relatively quickly. Beating two top 25 teams, one on the road, one at home, one top 10 team, um, I know the Georgia game ended up being a blowout, but it was really close for a long time. Like, there's just a lot of things that seem like they're going to change and pretty quick. So, interesting question, but I do think that Tennessee will get to seven or eight wins. Six, I'll be mediocre. Five, not happy at all. Uh, very disappointed. So, with that, let's move on. Let's go to a new segment uh, called Educate the Public. It's a new segment I'm establishing. Um 
I think segments are kind of a cool thing for podcasts. Every, almost every podcast I've ever listened to has segments. So we're going to implement this one. It's called Educate the Public. And this is something that I think people need to – that they might know a little bit of but don't know a lot of. And it's the rules of the transfer po- portal, and which, by the way, is the coolest name in college sports, right? The transfer portal. Like <laughs> bad things or good things can happen in the tra- – I mean just incredible. So – um, great job by the NCAA, even though their rules still suck for transfers, it, um, they at least did a good job with that. So essentially here's what the transfer portal is. And here's what, here's what's different about it than the old transfer rule from what I have read. And I've read a few articles today and in, in previous weeks. Um, so in the old rule, players had to notify their school that they were transferring. And the school could then block that request. They could um, block you from going to certain schools. They could do all these things. Um, and it really started by the player contacting their athletic director or their head coach. That's no longer the case. Now, From now on, you cannot or you do not have to tell your coach or um, athletic director that you plan on transferring as long as you don't play in the games or you're willing to sit out a full season, that rule stayed the same. You still have to sit out. You just add your name to the transfer portal. You enter your name to the transfer portal. And essentially what that does is it allows other coaches to then contact you and you are allowed to contact other coaches at that point. However, the rules now for tampering with college players because they don't have to talk to their current coach or administration are much more severe. Head coaches cannot tamper at all anymore. I mean, if you were caught tampering, the penalty is severe. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's a substantial you know, penalty compared to what it was, which was a pretty hefty penalty as well. So loss of scholarships, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff uh, negative can happen. If you're caught tampering. So that's not the key. But what's interesting is this fact that you don't have to um, contact your coach anymore. You can just enter your name into the portal. And it also allows for players not to be blocked by their coach of going to certain schools. You know, Nick Saban was the key to this, right? He recruited so much talent to Alabama that their players were literally you know, in their junior year, still not playing. And they're like, I'm a five-star. I was highly recruited. I know I can play. I've spent two years in the Alabama weight room. I'm getting bigger. I'm faster. I'm, you know, I'm knowledgeable. I'm going to go play somewhere else, get my name out there, and then go play in the NFL. Well, Nick Saban was like, well, you're not going to go play here. 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 And so limited these players, and they're like, well, I mean, do I want to go play in a for a no-name team? Um, or a team that's not going to get me national exposure, or do I wait and play a year, year and a half at Alabama? And so it kind of worked in their favor, and it worked in all these Power 5 schools' favors, these major players. But I think with the transfer portal, what you're seeing now is the ability for players to, you know, come out of their shells is the wrong word, but get their value. Um, You know, you see guys like Kelly Bryant leaving Clemson and going to Missouri. 
Missouri gets enough pub. They play on the SEC Network. They play on ESPN. They probably get one or two games a year on CBS. So they're getting enough national exposure to where if they just play, instead of sit behind, they're going to get you know more NFL experience. There's one problem I have with the transfer portal in this new rule of college football. And that is the fact that I think you're going to see so many more players if their first year doesn't go how they wanted and, you know, the school continues to recruit players at their position and they get, you know, really upset because in high school, these guys were the, were the top dogs and they're no longer the top dogs once they get to college. I think you're going to see so many more players go into the transport portal. And I don't think that in the long run will be good for college football just having everybody, oh, I'm not playing. Oh, I'm just going to transfer. Um, I think that you're going to have transfer destinations. You know, like Oklahoma is a good one because they're always turning and burning prospects, um, and they, they can recruit at an elite level, and they play on national TV all the time. But it, it really hurts these small schools in recruiting um, because they're just going to live off the transfer transfer portal and you have to keep spots open. It's just, it's so weird to me how, how this is going to end up playing out. Um, and now, especially with the early signing period and the transfer transfer portal, good gosh, I've said it like 30 times, starting to tell my word, words, transfer portal, transfer portal, transfer portal, transfer portal, say that 10 times fast. Um, it's, it's just, it's just going to be different. I don't know if it's going to be good, bad, I do like the fact that the players have the autonomy to choose where they want to go play and who they want to go play for. Um, but just everybody transferring immediately because they're not playing is, is my fear of what's going to happen. Um, I think players, some players will choose to sit rather than uh, sit behind for a year. And that could end up being, you know, a huge downfall of this experiment, but Let's give it some time. Let's see how it goes. I, I'm i in favor right now, but hopefully in the long run, everyone will be in favor uh, of the transfer portal. So that is the new segment called Educate the Public. Um, and it's just going to be a segment that, you know, if I find something that I think is worthy of that a lot of people talk about but aren't super knowledgeable about, might be worth talking about. Um, I don't want to get into the Super Bowl because we're going to do a Super Bowl preview um, and maybe a few college basketball things. So let's do one more question, and we'll call it a uh, an episode here from the mailbag. And we are going to go to – oh, not, not the mailbag, the mail bin – Let's see here. Let's find a good one here. Um, that was from last week. Okay. Andrew, what are your personal expectations for the volunteer football team? Oh, we already answered that. Zach, uh, that is uh, my expectations. I do appreciate the compliment. Um, oh, here's a good one. This one is from, who is this from? David. No last name. Interesting. Uh, David asks, what is your favorite moment as a Tennessee fan growing up and in college? Great question, David. Um, 
as, as, as most people listen to this know, I am a VFL. I have been, uh, like many that grow up in East Tennessee, and in, especially in Knoxville, you know, you live it, you breathe it. Um, you're there every Saturday. You talk about it on Sunday through Saturday, uh, Sunday to Sunday, and um, you live it and breathe it. So interesting question. Let me start off with my college, and this is easy for me. Um, and it is when um, Tennessee beat Georgia on the Hail Mary, right? That's just an all-time moment. As a Tennessee fan, you probably will never get to experience something like that again. And I was sit- sitting on that side of the field in the end zone. None of us knew if he had caught it. Um, but all of a sudden, the Juwan Jennings, or sorry, Josh Smith just starts jumping up and down. The ref throws his arms up for signaling touchdown, and it was like pandemonium. And, uh, yeah, that was, that is one I'll never forget for the rest of my life. A close runner up though is, um, definitely the moment when Tennessee really pulled ahead of Florida. Um, the Juwan Jennings touchdown was, you know, on another level. Gosh, the name is slipping me, and I can't believe I'm forgetting this. But when Tennessee caught the slant over the middle and just sprinted to the corner of the end zone and scored in front of the students, and it was like, we're going to do this. We're going to beat Florida. I remember looking, and I, I, you know, he will attest to this. I looked like four sections over in Neon Stadium, a long way away, and just randomly made eye contact with Liam Cowley, who growing up was a diehard Gator fan. And since we had been friends, since I knew him for 12 years, we had never beaten him. And just looking after all the misery he's put me through over the years, all the, the stupid bets I made growing up to be rewarded was a, uh, was a really cool moment. Uh, overall, I think my favorite memory as a Tennessee fan was sitting in uh, section XX and watching David Will Hoyt kick a 54 yard field goal to beat Florida. And, um, it was so dang, I mean, it was, it was just on another level in terms of noise, um, going from deathly silent to over the moon. And I just remember thinking like, in my, you know, heck, that was 2004. I would have been like nine. Yeah, like nine or ten-year-old self. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, I can't wait to go to school here. I can't wait to be in that student section. Because all, all you could do growing up is just look at the student section. And everybody's just going nuts the whole time. And uh, that was such a cool moment. I'll never forget that. The angle I got to look at it. Um, and just knowing that we beat Florida was an awesome, awesome experience. Um, two really good questions. Also, I think, uh, being in Memphis when we beat them in basketball, number one versus number two was another really cool moment. And just, you know, now looking back on that game and realizing the significance of it and, and for the rivalry, what that meant and for Bruce Pearl and for that group, for Tennessee basketball, for the history, trying to bolster it, what an unbelievable moment to go on the road in an in-state rival and beat them on their home floor in a sold-out house in prime time. Such a cool moment um, that was back in uh, middle school. 
But I'll tell you, man, Tennessee, my return on investment, and I know for a lot of Tennessee fans right now, your return on investment hasn't been high recently. But when you really think about it, if you are in your mid-20s, mid to low-20s, the University of Tennessee is giving you some really cool moments. And uh, it's it's why you stick with them. It's why we all have. It's why you have the most loyal fan base in the country. I don't think that Tennessee would trade that for anything. And uh, sometimes I think that the athletic department could be like, all right, our fans are killing us. But in the long run, it's uh, it's probably something that they uh, that they would not trade. And I don't think Tennessee fans would trade the memories either. So let's shut it down there. Super Bowl preview coming on Saturday. Very much looking forward to recording that on Friday evening. Um, first in-house guest. Uh, very excited about that. Sorry for no release last week. Just got really busy. But uh, very glad to be back on the mic this week. So hope everybody has a great rest of their week. Tune in Saturday or Sunday morning, whichever you please, for the Super Bowl preview. And as always, go Vols. Thank <laughs> you.